Amen. Thank you, Zach. Thank you, Troy, for leading us this morning. Just blessed to have you today. Well, I wonder, uh, how many of you have ever forgotten something really important? Like, really important. And, and I was already planning to do this, so don't think that I'm poking. I'm talking way more important than the words to a song or an item on your grocery list. Like, really, really important. Like, any parents brave enough to say you forgot to pick your kids up somewhere at some point in time? Let's be honest, okay, you're with your church family, and we've had your kids for an awful long time a couple of times. But even more important than that, and before you beat yourselves up too much, how many of you have ever forgotten something that, you know, was the single most important event in all of recorded history? Anybody? Probably not. I'm going to venture a guess that you haven't forgotten something on that order. And as we focus our thoughts on the resurrection today, and as we focus our attention to the close of our sermon series that we've been on for the last six weeks titled The Journey to the Cross. We're going to study and apply from Luke's Gospel, where we've been this entire time, a passage of Scripture that's unique to to Luke's Gospel. Out of the other four Gospels, none of them mention uh, what we're going to study and apply today. And so, if you would open your Bibles, we're going to dive right into God's Word this morning. And we're going to go to Luke chapter 24. If you don't have a Bible with you, there are Bibles in the seats. You may have to, they've gotten jostled around a little bit, so you may have to get up and move to grab one of those. If you're using one of the Pew Bibles, it's page 1642, but you're welcome to follow along on a digital device in the version that you're most comfortable with. I'll be reading from the New International Version. And uh, the way that Luke records the resurrection is this. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood before them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. So how in the world could they forget the resurrection? You know, if, if, if I had been walking around day in, day out with a group of 12 people, And I had told them a number of times along those last maybe three-year period that I was going to be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. You would think, wouldn't you, that we would remember that all-important thing because, you know, the whole idea of being raised from the dead didn't happen a whole lot. It still doesn't happen a whole lot today, does it? So you would think that that would lodge in their minds. And so we have to wonder, how is it that we forget or how is it that they forgot the resurrection. Well, if we understand the history and the prophecy that surrounds the idea of the Messiah, you would see that in the Old Testament there are prophecies that point to this coming Messiah, this anointed one of God. And those prophecies are usually in two different veins. One is a conquering king, and the other is a suffering servant. Now, they're both speaking about the same person, But imagine yourself as a first century Hebrew, and for centuries, for generations, the Roman people had been oppressing your people. They had been taxing you to the point of starvation. They had been 
squashing every little rebellion that had come up. And for centuries and for generations, you had been looking to this Messiah. And every time you read the Scriptures or you heard the Scriptures, you heard about a conquering king. And over generations, your minds begin to focus on this conquering king that's going to come and throw off the Roman oppression. So when Jesus comes and He starts to do miracles and He starts to speak and say things and teach and He speaks with authority and He says words that nobody's ever said before and He does things that nobody's ever done before, imagine the hope that would be welling up within you. We saw it last week as Jesus entered into Jerusalem and they're throwing their coats down and they're, they're saying, Hosanna in the highest, blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. And the, the anticipation and the hope had reached a fever pitch. So imagine the disillusionment that they would have felt as they saw this Messiah, this anointed one, this conquering king they'd been waiting for for generations nailed to a cross, breathing his last, seeing his lifeless body taken from a cross and laid into a tomb. Imagine the fear. You see, for, for centuries, the Israelite people, the Jewish people, had thought their biggest problem was Rome. And that their conquering king would come and throw off that problem, that would deal with that problem once and for all. They thought their biggest problem was a Roman problem. But if you read the Gospels, you'll see something curious. Jesus didn't seem to have a huge issue with Rome, did he? He said really strange things like if a soldier, a Roman soldier, compels you to carry his armor and his gear for one mile, carry it a second. And he said things like, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, give to God what is God's. In fact, the only people that Jesus really seemed to have a big problem with were the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees and the religious elite. It wasn't Rome. In fact, Rome didn't have a big problem with Jesus either. Rome had a pretty good track record for dealing with rebellions. They would kill the leader of the rebellion and everybody who had followed him. That was how Rome kept the peace, right? You've heard of the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome? Well, the peace of Rome was an uneasy peace because it was a peace that killed anybody that tried to defy them. But Rome didn't have a big issue with Jesus. If you read the accounts of, of Jesus going before Pilate, and then Pilate's like, I don't want to mess with this. I'm going to send him over to Herod. Herod's in town. And Herod's like, I don't want to mess with this one either. So he sends him back to Pilate. And Pilate didn't have an issue with Jesus. He wanted them to just, just judge him according to your own law, he said. In fact, he washes his hands of it. But because the Jews were wanting this, this criminal Jesus to be crucified, they needed Roman authority to do it. But Jesus didn't have a huge issue with Rome in his public ministry, and Rome didn't have a huge issue with Jesus. So, imagine... The crushing despair as these hopes seem to be dashed to pieces. And put yourself in the story right now. No doubt you felt foolish, embarrassed, maybe even afraid for your lives. Because how can you follow this Messiah if he's dead? And an amazing thing happens when despair sets in. When you wanted a conquering king, but you got a suffering servant... It's possible for the circumstances of our lives to muddy our memory sometimes, isn't it? And we forget the promises of God that are for us. And our memory can become very, very selective. 
One of my favorite pastors is a man named Greg Laurie. He's a pastor out in California, and he says this. We've had it in our house and on our email signature lines and other things, and he says, don't forget in the dark what God revealed in the light. Don't forget in the dark what God revealed in the light because circumstances have, an, have a habit of making our memory very, very selective. So selective, in fact, that Jesus' closest followers could forget that he said he would be raised again. They could show up on Monday morning and be shocked that the tomb was empty and bewildered and be wondering what is going on here, what has happened. But there's an interesting word that appears twice in the passage that we read this morning. It appears twice in Luke's account of the gospel, and it doesn't appear in any of the other three accounts of the resurrection. And that word that we see in verse 6 and again in verse 8, it says they, they, they tell him, he's not here, he's risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then... They remembered his words. They remembered his words. And that Greek word that we translate as remember in this passage two times is the Greek word mimnesco. Mimnesco. And it doesn't just mean that something outside or externally jogs your memory. Like, have you ever heard a song on the radio and it reminds you of, of maybe somebody you were dating when that song came out or something like that? And, and something external to your situation causes you to remember. No, Mimnesco is very different. Mimnesco only occurs 23 times in the New Testament, 12 times in the Gospels, and six of those times are here in the Gospel of Luke. Mimnesco means to actively and intentionally and purposefully remember, to build a habit into your life of remembering something very, very important. It, it goes way beyond somebody reminding you of that's a totally different word. That happens about 69 times in the New Testament. It's a totally different word to, to mean that you were reminded of. To remember, to focus your attention, to be intentional and purposeful and missional about remembering is a word that occurs far fewer times. But twice in this passage, once as the angels exhort the women who have come, who have forgotten the resurrection that was foretold by their, by their leader, they tell them, remember, remember it. Remember what he said? Meditate upon that. Think upon that. And then as they go in verse 8, they are remembering. They remembered his words. And, and they didn't just stop as they went back. They're, they started, yeah, remember, and remember when he said this? Remember when he said? And if you've ever gotten together with a group of people and you're remembering something together, somebody else has this detail and somebody else has that detail and somebody else, oh, and remember when he said this? And they're actively remembering? That's the type of remembering that was taking place on the resurrection morning. And it's interesting, it occurs a couple other times in the passion narratives, in the, in the accounts in the Gospels of the last week of Jesus' life. I thought these were interesting. In, in three of the Gospels, we're told that Peter remembered that Jesus said he would deny him three times. After the cock crowed for that third time, Jesus' words were brought to mind forcefully and Peter remembered, and he was deeply, deeply saddened as he remembered. Another one that uh, really stood out to me, and, and it's interesting, the only people that remembered that Jesus said he was going to rise from the dead were his opponents. 
This is a little known uh, or easily forgotten, maybe is a better way to say it, uh, element of Matthew's gospel. There's this scene that plays out as the Jewish leaders go to Pilate and they ask for a guard to be placed at the tomb because they tell Pilate, we remember, we mimnesco, that he said he was going to be raised from the dead and so we want a guard posted at his tomb so that nobody can come and steal the body away. Little did they know, everybody had forgotten about that detail in Jesus' ministry. So nobody was coming to steal the body, they were coming to prepare the body for burial. They had totally forgotten about that, but his opponents remembered it. They mimnescoed it. They recalled it to mind actively and purposefully and they acted upon what they remembered. And the last time that we hear this before the resurrection account is at the end of Luke 23 when one thief on the cross, remember there were three crosses, Jesus was in the center and there's one on his right and there's one on his left and we're told that they're thieves. And one uses his last moments to ridicule the, the Savior, to, to poke fun at him and say, you saved all these others, you can save yourself. And he uses his last moments to deride and ridicule the Savior. The other though, we're told, he begins a conversation with Jesus. And he starts to come to Jesus' defense and say, have you no shame? We're guilty. This man is clearly innocent. And Jesus interacts with him, and he, he starts a conversation with him, and they're going back and forth. And that thief says, Jesus, remember me when you come into glory. Mimnesco me. And of course, Jesus' famous response, you will be with me this day in paradise. There's a little bit of that thief in me, I don't know about you, there's a little bit of that thief in me that wants Jesus to remember me in glory, that wants Jesus to, to call me to mind intentionally and purposefully and actively. We all want Jesus to remember us before the Father at the end of all things, but how actively, how intentionally, how purposefully do we remember Him? How intentionally do we call Him to mind? And so our bottom line today is an exhortation for you to remember, to remember the resurrection. To remember, to remember. That's the active, that's the intentional, that's the deliberate remembering of the resurrection. I encourage you to call it to mind daily, multiple times a day. Be mindful of it throughout the day because the good news is that the tomb is still empty today. 2,000 years later, I did the math, it's over 736,000 days that the tomb has been empty. 736,000 days that we can wake up and remember to remember the resurrection. That it's not just something we celebrate on Easter morning, that it can be something that we celebrate throughout every moment of our lives, every day of our lives. That 2,000 years later, resurrection power is available to you and to me today. You see, the resurrection changed everything. The resurrection transformed the suffering servant that went into the tomb into the conquering king that came forth from the tomb. The conquering king who was concerned with far more than a religious oppression of one generation, but was ultimately delivering the whole world, all people from that point forward from sin and death, was triumphing over sin and death on our behalf. The suffering servant that went into the tomb was transformed by the power of the resurrection into the conquering king that came from and conquered not just Rome for the people of that day, but conquered sin and death on our behalf forever. You see, Jesus knew that, that something the first century Jews didn't know. He knew that Rome was far too small of a problem to solve. 
He was willing to suffer at the hands of his own people so that he could deliver all people from a much greater oppression, from sin and from death. That was the real problem that Jesus came to solve. And so as we seek to apply God's Word to our lives today, I want to ask you, what is your problem? And I don't say that flippantly, but there was a whole generation of people that thought their biggest problem was Rome. And it wasn't in the view of God at all. He had a much bigger problem to solve, the problem of sin and death. And so when I ask you, what is your problem today? If you have not received Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, then the sin problem and the death problem are your biggest problems, and whatever problem may be in view is far, far removed from that. And the same power that raised Christ from the dead can transform your life today. The suffering servant can pay the penalty for your sins. You really have two options when it comes to sin. Scripture tells us very clearly that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's no one in this room that is sin-free except for Jesus Christ, who the world tells us is here with us today. But for the rest of us, we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we have two choices. The first choice is the self-atonement plan. And that's where you say, I'll pay the fine, I'll do the time, I did the crime. And the Word tells us that that results in an eternity separated from God. In utter darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. I really hope you'll choose the second plan. The second plan is the Christ atonement plan where Jesus steps into your place on the cross and pays the penalty for your sins and ushers you into an eternity with God. An eternity that starts now and never ends. Where you'll spend eternity with Him, singing praise to Him in the land that casts no shadows where there are no tears. It's a choice that he gives to each and every one of us to choose. Do we want to pay for the penalty of our sins on our own or do we want to allow Christ to pay that penalty for us? The resurrected king can transform our suffering and our separation from God into an eternity with God. So if you're here today and you've never received that, then your biggest problem is sin and death. And Jesus stands as a solution to that. Now, if you're here today, like many of you, I'm assuming, are, and you have accepted the gift of Christ's salvation, you've accepted the grace of God that's available to Him, or through Him, and you still have these problems, right? We still have problems, don't we? I've got some problems. I know there's people in this congregation that are experiencing tremendous loss. There are people with disabilities. There are people that just found out they had cancer. There are all kinds of problems. But the same power that raised Jesus from the dead gives us a hope that comes into those problems. It comes into those problems and gives them a perspective that turns that pain into purpose, that turns that pain into something that God can use to reach other people with the good news. That, that, that same hope can bring peace into our lives and bring joy into our lives. As we take our eyes off of our problem, And we remember to remember the resurrection. And we do what the author of Hebrews said. We fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising his shame, is now seated at the right hand of God. Because when you take your eyes off your problem and you put them on Jesus, your problem shrinks. But when you take your eyes off of Jesus and you put it on your problem and you just focus on your problem, your problem grows and Jesus shrinks. 
That's why we have to remember to remember. We have to remember to remember the resurrection. We have to remember to remember the power of God that was at work in the resurrection is available to us today. And that's a claim that I'm not just making flippantly. We have it in Scripture. In fact, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18 through 21. If you have one of those Bibles, you can turn to uh, page 1818 and follow along with me. But in Ephesians 1, 18... Paul writes this to this church in Ephesus, and he says, he's praying for them in this section of the letter. He says, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted when Christ was raised from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the age to come. That power is available to us today. So don't forget the resurrection when you walk out those doors. Remember it. Remember it actively and deliberately and purposefully. And when you wake up tomorrow morning, remember to remember the resurrection and read your Bible. Read your Bible every single day. I'm living proof that you can read your Bible every day and it will not harm you. It will actually help you. And when you encounter problems and messes and issues, remember that they're secondary from the main problem which has already been solved for you, the problem of sin and death, that everything that happens here on this span of earth is temporary and that what's permanent is secure in Jesus Christ. Remember when you walk back into problems and messes, to pray. And to pray God's power into your life. I was praying this morning. I pray in the shower sometimes. And I was praying. I was starting to get a little anxious and a little nervous about a couple of situations and a couple of things that might go wrong this morning. And it was like the Holy Spirit whispered in my ear, don't forget to practice what you're going to preach, Pastor Mark. And I stopped and I just said, God, I'm going to pray your power into this into this situation, into these circumstances, into all of it. And what do you know? It all worked. It all came together. And when you encounter people who are far from God, which might be the biggest challenges that we have to deal with sometimes are relationships and relationships with people that are far from God. Sometimes our biggest challenges are relationships with people who are close to God too. But remember to remember the resurrection. Remember to witness to those who are far from God and tell them what you have seen and heard. That's what a witness does. They tell what they have seen and heard. And if you have experienced something, if you have experienced the power of the resurrection in your life, then you can share that with another. You can tell them what you've seen and heard. Because resurrection power is available to you today. Wherever you are, whatever you're facing, whatever circumstances you're facing, you can fix your eyes on Jesus. For the first time, or the millionth time you can fix your eyes on Jesus and allow him to grow in your view and allow the problem to become smaller. Would you pray with me today? Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for the empty tomb. We thank you for the resurrection. We thank you for the exhortation to remember. And I pray, God, that we would be a remembering people that we would be a people who do not quickly forget, Lord, but we would be a people who actively and purposefully and deliberately remember the resurrection, not just on Easter Sunday, 
but on the Monday after and the Tuesday after and the week after and the month after, and that this next year would be the year of remembering the power of the resurrection in our lives. And that as we fix our eyes on you, our problems would grow smaller and you would grow larger. You must increase. We must decrease. And Lord, for those who are here today and they have heard something and they have heard something that has shifted the way they look at you and they're ready, Lord, to open their hands and receive you as Lord and Savior, I want to lead them through a prayer right now that would enable them to do just that. So if you're saved today, I want you to pray for God's Spirit to move in this room for those who need to come to faith in Jesus Christ, who have the sin and death problem that it could be resolved right now. And if that's you, just open your hands and pray a simple prayer that says, Lord Jesus, I confess I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I invite you to come into my life. I ask you to pay the penalty for my sins. I receive your grace. I receive your forgiveness. I receive your mercy. And I ask you to empower me now with the same power that raised Jesus from the dead to live a holy life for you, for your glory, to bear much fruit for your kingdom. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all God's people said amen. We're going to continue to worship God. We're going to sing about this resurrected king. We're going to sing about what he's doing in our lives. And you have the freedom to come forward and kneel at the steps. You have the freedom to stand when you're ready to stand. You have the freedom to sit, to make an altar where you're seated, and to continue to do business with God. He is here. And he longs to interact with you in these moments.